This is the Podfic of A Potter's Field, written by Ms. Alex W.P., read by Ashita. And this is Reese's Pieces as the funeral director and as the morgue receptionist. This is Ms. Alex W.P. as Mike and as Alan Hatch. This is Burning Aurora as Remus. Chapter 1. All the Lonely People Cities are lonely places sometimes. Sirius Black knew that more than most. The subway station was always damp, with a thick underground smell that started before he even descended the stairs, wafting up to the street in hot gusts mixed with cigarette smoke and the sizzling sweet scent of roasted nuts. Water dripped slowly down the walls, down the graffitied ads for the energy drinks and the addiction hotlines, down the colorful tile murals that never looked as cheerful as intended. At least it was warm. Warm or not, though, the man still died down there, on a Tuesday morning. Or maybe it was a Monday night. He had already been dead for a few hours when Sirius found him, the police said. His name was Mike, and Sirius talked to him almost every morning. Nothing much, nothing deep. Just, hello, how are you today? How are your feet treating you? Sometimes, if he was running early for the train, Sirius bought him a coffee and sat next to him to chat for a few minutes. Most days, Mike was talkative, grunting and struggling his way up from the floor to join Sirius on the bench while the platform filled up around them. He'd cheerfully tell Sirius to mind his own business when he tried to get Mike to come down to the hospital's free clinic to get on an insulin regimen. Instead, Mike would pull out his old cracked mobile phone out of his pocket, the kind of phone social services agencies give out for things like free diabetes management programs, and open his camera roll to show Sirius the photos he took of the animals that sometimes wandered into the station. Mostly rats, but often pigeons, occasionally cats, once a possum. Mike reckoned he saw a fox once, but it was too quick and scurried away before he had time to retrieve his phone. Mike laughed loudly on these days, tipping his head back to reveal a mouthful of missing teeth, calling Sirius Pretty Boy and Dr. Rich, and cracking jokes until Sirius's train arrived. Once they'd even taken a selfie together. On other days, though, Mike was gloomy, possessed by demons that Sirius felt radiating off him like solid darkness. His black mood was heavy on his brow, slackened his cheeks, reduced his conversation capacity to grunts and arms folded protectively across his chest. He'd still take the coffee, though, even when he yelled at Sirius to fuck off and leave him the fuck alone and save his stupid fucking charity for someone fucking else. He smelled terrible, like body odor and urine and shit and dirt and rotten teeth, layers and layers of it. Months of grime that coated his skin and his pile of blankets with a lonely film. But Sirius smelled all of that and worse at the hospital every day. He barely noticed it after a while. Besides, he only had to smell it for five minutes. Sirius could endure anything for five minutes. He could endure more than he thought he ever could, actually. Sometimes, Mike was the only person Sirius talked to outside of work for days at a time. Mornings bled into days that dimmed into nights and back again. Cities are lonely places, millions of people, and no one to talk to. 
Sirius knew Mike was dead before he even sat down on the subway station bench, could tell by the waxy pallor of his skin and the stiffness of his limbs as he slumped sideways against the concrete station bench. But still, Sirius reached a shaking hand underneath Mike's soiled blanket and into the collar of his army jacket, he still pressed his fingers against Mike's neck to search for a pulse. Then he called the police, who zipped Mike into a black body bag and wheeled him off. Sirius called in late to work and took a train in the opposite direction to the morgue. What happens if no one claims his body? Sirius asked the woman at the desk at the coroner's office, his work bag sitting between his feet on the shiny tile floor, his fists shoved deep into the pockets of his black wool peacoat. We'll hold it for three weeks. Him. Sirius cut her off. Him. She corrected herself in a clipped tone. And if no next of kin claims him, he'll be cremated and buried in a potter's field. A what field? Sirius choked out, his stomach twisting, threatening to expel the coffee and banana he'd eaten that morning. A potter's field, she repeated. It's what they call cemeteries for John Doe's and unclaimed dead. Old-fashioned term, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Sirius muttered and turned away, pushing through the revolving glass door and back into the gusty March morning. He talked to even fewer people than usual in the days following Mike's death. James would have jovially scolded him to strike up a conversation on the train, talk to his colleagues beyond asking for vital signs or medication orders, or maybe even get back on Tinder. They do friend meetups too, you know, James's overly optimistic voice would say. Those apps aren't just for dating. That's pathetic prongs, Sirius would answer. Even now, he could almost feel the reassuring weight of James's arm slung over his shoulder. Why don't you see what Marlene's up to? She's back in France. I already told you that. Oh, what about that hot pharmacist? James would press on. He was never one to give up so easily. The one with the nice ass? He has an earring. So? An earring prongs. One earring. A gold hoop. Like it's 1995. I think they're back in style pads. Not for me. Is it really about the earring, though? What's that supposed to mean? James would sigh, cover Sirius's hand with his own. <sighs> it's been seven months, Sirius. James would tell him, his voice soft, loving. Lily's worried about you, too. But Lily wasn't really worried. Neither was James. I gotta go, Jamie, Sirius would say and pour himself a drink and then another and another. However many it took to blot out James and his loving voice and his brown eyes that Sirius was slowly and heartbreakingly forgetting the exact shade of. Maybe he'd send another email to his lawyer and Harry's social worker even though he had just emailed them that morning. Maybe he'd have another drink. The next day, Sirius saw the empty spot where Mike used to sit in the subway and wondered if anyone besides him noticed he was gone. He wondered how, among billions of people on this earth, anyone could ever be noticed or remembered. Even if they mattered once, it was only for a moment. In the long run, they were tiny specks of dust. They barely registered as blips in the timeline of the universe. They were here, and then gone, 
in the blink of an eye. Who would even remember that they even lived at all? Three weeks and two days passed. Still unclaimed, the morgue receptionist told Sirius over the phone. Could I claim him? he asked. I don't see why not, the woman replied. You just need to fill out some paperwork and agree to cover the burial expenses. Yes, Sirius said immediately, a strange tightness gripping his chest. Yes, I'll do that. Can I come today? A few hours later, Sirius was back on the train, heading home from the morgue, with the funeral date booked in his iPhone calendar and a small plastic bag of Mike's belongings, Mike's entire life, on his lap. He told the woman at the morgue they could throw away Mike's filthy blanket and even his tattered, soiled clothing. Sirius had already decided to buy him a nice suit to be buried in. And a tie, and a matching pocket square. Nice shoes, too. Italian leather, maybe. Why not? Mike could go out in style. He got home, pushed his apartment key into the lock, fed Lily's cat, his cat, he reminded himself, emailed Harry's social worker again, made some spaghetti bolognese, and poured himself a glass of burgundy to go with it. Then he opened the plastic bag from the morgue and gently emptied the contents onto his living room floor. There wasn't much, a ripped and duct-taped wallet containing only a losing lottery ticket and a long-expired driver's license that revealed Mike's full name, Michael K. Hatch. He was 63 years old. His address was listed as 15 South Birch Street, which was the YMCA, according to Google. There was also his cracked phone, for which Sirius guessed the passcode immediately, Mike's birthday. He had no stored numbers, no texts, and his only call was to a Taco Bell six months ago. Sirius opened the camera roll and scrolled through countless dimly lit and blurry photos of animals scurrying around the subway station. Rat, rat, pigeon, rat, a dog on a leash. That one didn't really count, Sirius thought. Raccoon, rat, possum. Until he arrived at a familiar face. His own. His smile looked unnaturally bright and clean next to Mike's toothless grin. But there was something they had in common. Something Sirius had never noticed before. It was in the eyes. They were haunted-looking and tired. Dark despite their smiles. It gave Sirius an odd chill, and he scrolled on quickly. He expected more rats, but didn't find them, at least not right away. Instead, there was another selfie. Mike was grinning his toothless grin up at the camera next to a man with soft honey-brown curls and distinctive scars cutting across his left eyebrow and the bridge of his nose. His eyes were brown too and kind-looking behind tortoise-shelled glasses. He didn't shy away from Mike like most people on the train platform tended to. Instead, he leaned in close for the picture, just as Sirius had. Sirius looked at the photo for a long time, studying the man's face. He looked about Sirius's age, or maybe a little younger. His smile was sweet and soft, with endearingly crooked eye teeth poking out from underneath his pretty pink lips, and a dusting of freckles covering the apples of his cheeks. He wore a heavy brown coat and a thick red scarf wrapped around his neck. He didn't have any trace of the empty darkness that haunted Mike's and Sirius's faces. He looked a bit tired, maybe, but he also looked happy, content. 
His smile crinkled at the corner of his eyes. Sirius imagined him to be the kind of person who drank very milky tea, wore charmingly tattered sweaters, and read love-worn books with cracked spines. Sirius reluctantly put the phone down and examined the last item from the pile. It was a bent and ragged business card that read R.J. Lupin Social Services. In addition to R.J. Lupin's office contact information, the card also had a note on the back, handwritten in blue ink. Mike, give me a call anytime, along with a phone number. Sirius tucked the card into Mike's wallet, put the wallet into the kitchen drawer, and opened his laptop. The next morning, Sirius arrived at the train station with a stack of flyers that showed Mike's photo and the date and location of the memorial service. He taped them up at the entrance of the subway station and all around the platform. He tacked them to telephone poles around the YMCA where Mike used to live. He spent his lunch break shopping for Mike's suit and shoes and wrote Mike's obituary for the newspaper. The next day, he ordered flowers from the same floral shop he'd used a few months ago. The florist even remembered him. Sirius doubted he'd ever forget him, actually. Another loss, son, the old man asked sadly, patting his hand. I'm sorry to hear it. Sirius didn't know how to explain who Mike was, so instead he just said thank you. He didn't want to be there any longer than he needed to be anyhow. The smell of lilies turned his stomach. The memorial calling hours were from two to four at a funeral home downtown, followed by a burial. The casket was closed. Sirius was not afraid of dead bodies. He saw enough of them at work. But open caskets were barbaric, terrible throwbacks to days when the corpse might actually wake up again. They wouldn't wake up again. Sirius stood in the funeral home's formal parlor in his favorite gray suit, pacing back and forth around the heaps of flowers that draped over the casket and on the floor, while Abbey Road played softly over the sound system. Sirius had chosen the Beatles because Mike once told Sirius he liked the song Penny Lane when a busker was playing it on a guitar at the subway station. He even sang along, with the wrong lyrics, but still. Penny Lane is in my ears and in my thighs. He might have been joking, now that Sirius thought about it. The minutes ticked on, 2.15, 2.30, 2.45, 3.00, and no one came. Finally, he heard the door open and the funeral director's voice. Thank you for coming. You can sign the register that way. Sirius looked up, utterly relieved that someone other than himself was here to pay their respects. He waited for the person to sign the register and come around the corner to the parlor. When he did, Sirius recognized him immediately. It was the man from the other photo in Mike's phone, the one with the curls and the glasses and the kind eyes. He looked around the empty parlor as he unwound the red scarf from his neck. His gaze landed on Sirius, who stood by the head of the casket. The man gave him a soft, sad smile, strode over, and stuck out his hand. Hi, I'm Remus, he said. I was a friend of Mike's. I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, he must have thought Sirius was Mike's son or something. Thanks, Sirius said, shaking Remus's hand. It was large and warm despite the chilly March day. I'm Sirius. I was a friend of Mike's too. How did you know him? Just from my commute, Remus said. 
I'd see him in the morning at the train station. Me too, actually, Sirius said and realized that neither of them had let go of the other's hand. It felt nice, and he dropped it reluctantly. He hadn't touched anyone besides patients in months. I didn't even know his last name until a couple of days ago, Sirius admitted. Did you do all this? Remus asked, looking around the funeral home before turning back to Sirius with an astonished expression. Yeah. Sirius shrugged and he shoved his hands into his suit pockets and explained all about finding Mike's body and talking with the morgue. He couldn't bring himself to say the words Potter's Field, though. So that means you put the flyers up, too? Remus said. It wasn't a question. Yeah, Sirius replied. I thought maybe he had other friends who might want to say goodbye, but so far it's just me and you. That's... Remus started to say, but his voice trailed off. He shook his head in amazement, apparently searching for the right words. That's incredible. I didn't think he should be forgotten, Sirius said quietly. No. Remus agreed. No, he shouldn't be. Believe it or not, um, I've seen you before, Sirius admitted with a little laugh and reached into his pocket. Hey, you have Mike's phone? Remus said when he saw it in Sirius's hand. I told him I could get him another one after he cracked it, but he said it still worked. Did you get him this one? Yeah. Remus said. I work for social services, and we give out cell phones to unhoused or low-income people and pay for their calling plans. You know, trying to keep them connected to the world. It's hard to get a job or an apartment or even a doctor's appointment if you don't have a phone number. I hoped he would use it to get in touch with our diabetes clinic, but I think he used it mostly for taking pictures of rats. Having been through the camera roll, that's exactly what he used it for. Sirius laughed. He'd now laughed twice in less than two minutes, at a funeral home with a stranger, which was more than he'd done in the past seven months. So, I take it there's a picture of me on there? Remus asked, gesturing to the phone. Sirius nodded and pulled up the photo. Remus stepped closer so he could see the picture and their shoulders brushed together. Sirius could smell his aftershave. It was nice without being overwhelming and reminded Sirius of a crisp fall afternoon. Sirius looked sideways at Remus, who gave the photo a fond smile. He was a good person, I think, Remus said quietly. I wish I could have helped him more. R.J. Lupin, Sirius exclaimed, connecting the dots between Remus's name, his job, and the business card. Yeah. Remus laughed, looking at Sirius with a warm, amused smile. Oh, Mike had your business card with him, Sirius said. He had almost nothing except an expired license, his phone, and your card. Oh, that's nice. And sad. I wish he'd used it, Remus said. Do you, um, do you know how he died? Sirius shook his head. No, but if I had to guess, diabetes complications. I've seen his feet, Sirius explained. I'm an ER doctor at Sacred Heart. Remus nodded in understanding. I've seen his feet too. Remus sighed. He looked around the empty funeral home and seemed to make up his mind about something. He took off his coat and scarf and draped them across the back of a chair. Sirius smiled a little at the navy blue Fair Island sweater Remus wore over his shirt and tie. 
it was a bit frayed at the neck, just as Sirius imagined it would be. Mind if I stick around for a while? Remus asked. That'd be great, Sirius said. The minutes ticked by, but still no other mourners came. Sirius had a feeling they wouldn't, but Remus stood next to him all the while, waiting patiently. They talked easily, first about Mike and then about work, and about how hard it was to make friends in the city. I lived here for two years before I made a close friend, Remus admitted. I had lots of acquaintances, you know, work people that I'd get a drink with once in a while, or grab lunch with. I've gone on lots of bad dates, but there was no one I really connected with until I met my friend Mary. How did you meet her? Sirius asked. She was friends with a guy I dated, Remus said, and Sirius felt his stomach swoop at the word guy. I broke up with him, but kept her. That's great, Sirius said. Gone, I haven't dated in. Sirius looked up at the punched tin ceiling, trying to think of the last time he actually went out with someone. It was before James and Lily. In about eight months, Sirius finished, looking back at Remus, who raised his eyebrows. Wow, Remus said. Any reason? Yeah, actually, um... My best friend and his wife died, James and Lily. A car accident back in the summer. The words were out of Sirius's mouth before he even realized he was saying them. He couldn't believe he'd actually spoken them out loud to a stranger, no less. The back of his neck prickled with a blotchy heat and his eyes stung. Oh, Sirius, Remus said. I'm so sorry. Thanks, Sirius nodded, looking down at his feet. So, I've been busy, with work, and trying to get custody of their son, and also, you know, trying not to shrivel up and die. He attempted a laugh, but it was more of a choked sob. He put a trembling hand on his forehead and shook his head. I'm sorry, he said, trying desperately to swallow back the tears. This is why I don't talk about it. It's all right. Remus said gently. He reached out a tentative hand and placed it on Sirius's shoulder. We don't have to talk about it. Sirius nodded and gave a shaky exhale, trying to steady his breathing. The funeral director walked into the parlor. It's 4.15, Mr. Black. Sirius nodded and sniffed, wiped his eyes quickly with the back of his hand. I've got to go to the cemetery, Sirius said, his voice still quivering. The burial... Do you want some company? Remus asked. I understand if you want to say goodbye to Mike by yourself, but... No, Sirius said quickly. I mean, yes, you can come. That would be nice. Okay, Remus said. He pulled out his phone and looked up at Sirius. What's the address? I'll grab an Uber. You can come with me if you want, Sirius said. I hired a town car. Are you sure? Remus asked. I don't want to take advantage or anything. I'd actually really like it if you came. I bet Mike would too. After the service, Remus and Sirius stood shivering at the edge of the freshly dug grave with their hands in their pockets and the collars of their jackets turned up against the late winter chill. They both looked down at Mike's headstone for a few minutes without speaking. Sirius had chosen a simple marble stone with Mike's name, birth and death dates, and the words, In Loving Memory. Thank you for doing this, 
Remus said finally, looking over at him. The wind was blowing his hair into his eyes, and Sirius had the strangest urge to brush it out of his face. Mike was so lucky to know you. I think anyone would have done it, Sirius said, but Remus shook his head and even laughed at him a little. Give a funeral to a total stranger? Are you kidding? You're probably one in a million, Sirius. Remus smiled at him gently with those kind brown eyes, and Sirius felt something small unclench in his chest, felt his jaw relax a little. They looked at each other for a few seconds more before Sirius spoke. Can I take you to dinner? He blurted out, and Remus laughed again. It was a lovely sound. No, Remus said with a smile, his cheeks turning a dusty shade of pink. I'm going to take you to dinner. They talked for hours. All night, in fact. Sirius discovered that Remus grew up the son of a lobster man on a tiny island off the coast of Maine, the kind of place where he needed to take his family's boat to the mainland to go to the grocery store. The scars on his face were from getting tossed from the little rowboat during a violent storm. The rowboat was smashed to pieces against the rocky shore, and Remus was lucky he hadn't drowned. Even still, Remus missed the ocean. With an ache like a bruise in his heart, he said. When Sirius reminded him they lived right next to the harbor in the city, Remus said it didn't count. I mean, the wide open ocean, he said with a dreamy, far-off look in his eyes. The kind of ocean that could swallow you up whole in one gulp, right into the belly of a whale, and no one would ever see you again. Doesn't that scare you? Sirius asked. It scared him. It always had. The vastness of space, of the ocean, of the desert, was terrifying. It reminded him of his insignificance. Of Mike's insignificance. Of James's... Oh. Yeah, but it should scare you, Remus said. That means you understand what it is to be human. It's like that Mary Oliver quote. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? It scares you awake, you know? They closed one restaurant, then another, then sat in the corner of a dingy bar until the bartender grabbed a dirty rope that hung from a brass bell over the sink and rang it loudly. Last call, boys, she said, and they finished their beers and left, walking out into the now quiet streets. Sirius looked up. Only the moon was visible in the night sky. The lights of the city blotted out the stars, but he knew they were there, even though he couldn't see them, and the thought made him feel oddly comforted. They were looking down on him, always with him, no matter what. They walked without discussing where they were going, but they both seemed to know anyhow, and when they got to the edge of the sea, they sat with their legs dangling over the pier for hours more. They talked until the sun came up over the harbor in the eastern sky, orange and pink and streaky blue. It shone and sparkled off the water, bright and beautiful, casting Remus's face in pretty gold light that made his freckles pop sweetly on his skin. I know you said you didn't like to talk about it, Remus said, looking down at his fingers that were tangled in his lap. But, um, you mentioned James's son? His voice trailed away, and Sirius knew Remus was waiting to see whether this was an okay line of questioning. To Sirius's surprise, he didn't feel the familiar and unpleasant burn of adrenaline rush through his muscles at the mention of James's name. Yeah, Sirius said. He's 17 months old. And you want custody of him? Remus asked, and Sirius nodded. 
They wanted me to have him, James and Lily. But as it turns out, drunkenly writing on a cocktail napkin, I want Sirius to have my kid, isn't actually legally binding, Sirius said. He tried to laugh, but it sounded like broken shards of glass. Where is he now? Lily's sister has him. She doesn't particularly want him, but she was never a huge fan of me, so she's not making it easy. I think I'm going to get him eventually, but it's going really slowly, Sirius said. Turns out, there are some things money can't buy. What do you mean? I have a bottomless inheritance, and the best lawyers in the city, and it's still taking forever, Sirius said. I can't believe all the fucking red tape and hoops that I have to jump through. The state seems to think he'd be better off with his relatives than a single gay guy. Did they actually say that to you? Remus asked, incredulous. No, but they didn't need to, Sirius said. Just the vibe I get over there in the family courts. That's awful. Yeah, Sirius agreed. It's like the most terrible thing that could have ever happened to this little boy happened. And now they're making it even worse. I mean, I spent more time with Harry than Lily's sister ever did. He paused and looked at Remus. Harry, that's my godson's name. It's cute, Remus said, and he stared out over the harbor again, then pointed. Look, Remus whispered. Seals. And sure enough, five slick, shiny black heads were popping out of the rippling waves. They swam to a rocky outcropping surrounded by water and licking surf and climbed up, relaxing in the soft morning sunlight, barking every once in a while at a seagull that dove too close. Sirius smiled and watched them, amazed. He'd never seen such a thing, and right in the city too? He wished Harry was with them. Remus turned away from the seals and looked at Sirius again. I know we don't really know each other. And I'm sorry if this is overstepping, Remus said carefully. But I know one of my family court judges really well, and she's great with complicated stuff like this. She really thinks about the best interests of the child and knows the law, and all of its loopholes, inside and out. I could introduce you to her, if you want, set up a meeting. You would do that? Sirius asked. In a heartbeat. Remus shrugged as though being unfathomably kind to strangers was the easiest, most effortless thing in the world. Sirius thought of Mike right then. It was as though Mike elbowed his way straight into the front of Sirius's mind with his loud, booming laugh and toothless grin. Sirius thought of his sandpaper voice calling him pretty boy, of how well and colorfully he cursed. Sirius had never heard someone come up with so many variations of the word cunt. He thought of the empty spot on the subway platform and how no one seemed to notice that Mike wasn't filling it anymore. How no one showed up to Mike's memorial. No one but them. Did Mike have a nickname for you? Sirius asked Remus. His voice, he realized, was quiet, almost a whisper. Remus laughed. He sometimes called me Wicked Pessa, Remus said. Or Little Mr. Do-Gooder. He had nicknames for you too then? Sirius nodded. Dr. Rich and Pretty Boy, he answered. Remus drew his bottom lip between his teeth and his eyes flitted across Sirius's face, his gaze lingering on Sirius's mouth before looking back into his eyes. Pretty Boy, huh? 
Remus said, his voice husky and low. Very fitting, I think. Yeah? Yeah. And there, next to the family of barking seals, in the sparkle of the rising sun, in front of the choppy harbor, with crying seagulls swooping over their heads and the early morning whir of the street sweepers cleaning the road behind them, Sirius leaned over, put a finger beneath Remus's chin, and kissed him, sweet and slow. His lips were soft and full and parted eagerly. It felt wonderful, like sparkling magic across Sirius's skin. It pulled Sirius out of his body and sent him straight up into the pink clouds. Remus kissed Sirius as though it was the thing he was put on this earth to do. And Sirius didn't think he ever wanted to do anything else as long as this thing existed. Can I take you to breakfast? Remus said breathlessly against his lips a long while later. Breakfast? Lunch? Dinner? Sirius murmured back and sank into another kiss. Chapter 2 Baby One More Time Wow, pretty good turnout today, huh, Pads? It was a weird thing to hear your best friend say about his own funeral, but James always looked for the silver lining in things. Can we not do this right now, James? Sirius was laying face down on his couch, still in his suit, shoes, and tie after midnight, clutching a near-empty bottle of Jameson and trying to keep down the three bites of chicken parmesan that Marlene made him eat after the service. I want to talk about it while it's fresh in my mind, James said, settling cross-legged on the floor in front of the couch where Sirius's hand gripped the bottle. He was wearing the suit they buried him in, and his hair was all gelled to the side. Sirius hated it, but he couldn't exactly have reached into the casket to mess it up. There were lots of people there that I never expected to show up, James continued. Do you think they were just pretending to be sad? I bet that Dick Severus doesn't really care that I'm dead. He's probably happy about it, to be honest, Sirius muttered through half his mouth. <laughs> right? James threw his head back and laughed. But I think everyone else there was pretty sincere. All those people we went to high school with showed up, and everyone from my office, so that was cool. Lots of crying old ladies, always nice to see. I don't know why you want to talk about this, Sirius grumbled. Shouldn't you be with Lily right now? She's with her grandmother, James said dismissively. I'm here for you. Don't sleep on the couch tonight, okay? Why the fuck not? Sirius asked, rolling his head to the side and looking blearily at James. There were two of him, swimming in Sirius's bloodshot double vision. Because you need to brush your teeth and take off those shoes. You stepped in something sticky in the funeral home parking lot. And besides, James said, pushing the hair out of Sirius's eyes and leaning his head over to look at him, you can't fall apart. You've got a lot of life to live. Fuck off. No, I am not going to fuck off, James said more stringently than he ever spoke to Sirius in life. Harry needs you. I need you. You're dead, you prick. And I'm imagining you right now. Doesn't matter. I'll always need you, Sirius. And other people you don't even know yet need you too. Sirius buried his face in the couch cushion and cried.
but he did brush his teeth that night, and the next morning, and the one after that. Sirius met Mike for the first time thirteen days later. He had seen him before, of course, the way everyone who waited for the train on the subway platform had seen him. Barely. Or maybe trying not to see him, really. Trying not to see the living ghost who haunted the edges of their comfortable lives. Letting him vanish from their sight and their consciousness the moment the train doors slid shut. But on this day, when Sirius felt like a living ghost himself, existing outside the realm of normal people who ate three times a day and slept when the sun was down and could breathe without remembering that every inhale he took was one that James Potter didn't take. He saw Mike, for real. They made eye contact and neither of them looked away. Sirius felt the crushing burden of his grief like a physical object on his shoulders, and it seemed shocking that no one could see him collapsing under it more and more every day. But Mike looked right at him and held his gaze as though he knew it was there. The fuck you looking at? Mike spat at him. Literally. Spit and flecks of chewed up donut flew out of his mouth onto the top of Sirius's leather shoe. Sirius looked down at it and then back up at the filthy man sitting on the floor in front of him. That was disgusting. Sirius said, and Mike burst out laughing, sending another hunk of wet donut shooting across the subway platform. And so was that, Sirius said, and Mike laughed harder. You're funny, pretty boy, Mike said. Sirius brought Mike a donut the next day. Since I made you lose half yours yesterday, Sirius said, handing him the paper Dunkin' Donuts bag. What, no coffee? Mike asked with a smirk. How am I supposed to eat this with no coffee? And so it went from there. Once, Sirius tried bringing Mike an apple. Why? Mike had asked with an aggressively raised eyebrow. Apples have a lot of fiber, Sirius said, and they're better for you than donuts, especially for a diabetic. You, Dr. Rich, Mike said, need to mind your own damn business and he snatched the apple out of Sirius's hand and tucked it into his dirty blanket pile. A few days later, Mike showed Sirius a picture of a rat on his phone. It was eating an apple. You fed it to a rat, Sirius exclaimed. Also, you fed a rat? It had diabetes, Mike deadpanned. Sirius snorted a laugh, and only later that night did he realize it was the first time he had laughed since James died. Are you married? Mike asked one morning. No, Sirius answered, tapping his foot while he sat on the bench, staring down the dark subway tunnel as he raided for the train. Girlfriend? Nope. But he's so handsome, Mike said, staring up at him with a frown. Then his expression resolved as though he'd figured something out. Maybe you're too handsome. Maybe you're so handsome you scare girls away. Are you too handsome for the girls? Sirius sipped his coffee, still staring down the tunnel. I'm too gay for the girls. Silence. I should have guessed. Mike replied finally, nodding and leaning his head back against the cold, grimy subway tile wall. Oh, and why's that? Sirius asked. The apple. You fruity. <laughs> Mike! Sirius laughed, choking on his coffee. <laughs> 
that's the worst fucking dad joke I've ever heard. You're the one laughing at a pretty boy. Now it was Remus's turn to choke on his coffee. Oh my god. He coughed from the back booth of the greasy diner where the laminated menus had dried smears of ketchup at the peeling corners. So you must be the other gay. What? Sirius asked, delighted, putting his fork down. The what? Mike told me he knew another gay from the subway, Remus said, the smile bright on his face like sunlight glinting off the ocean. He and I had a similar, are you married conversation? And when I told him he was gay, he said, huh, well, that's two of you now. Must be something in the water. Yeah. Homosexuality can definitely be traced back to the water supply. Sirius laughed through a bite of home fries. Remus laughed too, then he chewed his toast quietly for a minute, running his finger around and around the outer rim of his chipped coffee mug, a small, quiet smile on his lips. He said he should introduce us, Remus said, gazing down into his coffee. Remus was still wearing the white button-down shirt that he wore to Mike's funeral, with the top few buttons undone and the tie loosened so the knot hung right in front of his sternum. His shirt was rumpled now, and the sleeves were rolled up to the middle of his forearms. He looked sleepy and strong and soft and gorgeous, with his dark glasses and his kind eyes and his shy smile, with his hair messy and windblown from walking around outside all night. Remus looked up at him, and Sirius found that he was holding his breath. I guess he kind of did, Sirius said, unable to look away from those eyes. Yeah, I guess he did, Remus whispered, and he didn't look away either. Sirius stood up just then and leaned over the formica table with a rattle of silverware and plates, pressing his thighs into the grooved metal edge. He grabbed Remus by the tie and pulled him in for another kiss. Remus kissed him back eagerly and Sirius could feel the smile against his lips. The morning turned to afternoon, then to night again, and they were kissing on a park bench and talking over sushi and holding hands in between bites of ice cream and walking along the boardwalk where the commuter ferry came in with people just heading home from work. Come home with me? Remus breathed against Sirius's lips when the yellow streetlights flickered on over their heads against another night sky. And Sirius did. They couldn't get upstairs fast enough, couldn't undress each other fast enough. Sirius felt dizzy with joy and exhaustion and him, him, him. And now that they were no longer in the street or in a restaurant, he couldn't keep his fingers out of Remus's soft curls or stop a reverent thumb from running across his cheek. He couldn't believe the way their bodies moved together, couldn't stop the whimper that escaped his chest when their bare skin touched. He couldn't stop sighing at the graze of Remus's teeth and lips across his jaw, down his neck, over his hip bones. Ready? Remus whispered, and Sirius nodded, pressing his face into the crook of Remus's neck when they came together breathing him in. Remus gripped his thigh and wrapped a hand around the back of his neck, holding all his broken pieces together, and kissed him like he needed it to live. Do you do this a lot? 
Sirius asked him later, pushing a curl off Remus's forehead as they lay together in the dark under the rumpled sheets with only the light of a street lamp illuminating the soft contours of Remus's face. Do I go to empty funerals, stay awake for 36 hours with a stranger, and then have incredible sex with said stranger? Remus asked. Yeah, every weekend. You? Sirius laughed and kissed him again and again and again. Remus ran a hand down Sirius's arm, found his fingers under the covers and pulled them to his lips, closed his eyes and brushed a gentle kiss over his knuckles. He looked into Sirius's face with an earnest expression that just about cleaved his heart in two. No, Remus said softly. I don't do this a lot. They stared at each other for a few seconds more before Sirius replied. Neither do I. It shouldn't be this easy. It shouldn't be this easy. Waiting for the other shoe to drop is a terrible way to live, but it protects you a little bit from the inevitable. Because the handful of times Sirius let his guard down. Will you stay? Remus asked, and Sirius found himself agreeing. It was easy, so easy. Yeah, he whispered. It was all too easy. I'm not keeping you from anything, am I? Remus asked, scooting closer to Sirius and slinging an arm over his bare waist. I've got the week off. Our office is closed for fumigating, so I've been walking around the harbor a lot, actually. It's been nice. Sirius shook his head. I, I took the week off too, he said. I've been kind of a workaholic since, since James died. He could say it. He could say the words James died without wanting to die too. I get it. Remus nodded. You do? Sirius asked and it was a genuine question. Yeah. Remus said. I did the same thing when I lost my dad last year. Every single day for months, I thought about moving home to be with my mom. But she said I should stay, live my dream, you know. She said her heart would break even more if I didn't. But it's hard to be alone in the city sometimes. At least at work, you can think about other people's problems instead of your own. Work is, um, not always easy, Sirius said, his voice trembling. He closed his eyes and breathed slowly, in through his nose and out through his mouth. He felt Remus's hand squeeze him tighter as though he could somehow staunch the bleeding in Sirius's heart. It's been hard, Sirius continued. A car accident came into the ER last month and I... and I... He tried to keep talking, but his voice broke. Hot tears stung his eyes and his lungs seized in his chest. I'm so sorry, Sirius choked out with a bitter, crying laugh. God, you invite someone to spend the night and then they do this. I can feel you blocking my number already. I can go home if you... He started to sit up, but Remus stopped him with a firm hand on his shoulder. Please don't go, Remus said, and Sirius saw nothing but sincerity in his eyes. You need sleep and your head's already on a pillow. Tears don't scare me, Sirius. You're going through something terrible, and you've been awake for two days straight. I'd be more afraid if you weren't crying. And besides, 
Remus reached up and brushed a tear away, traced his fingers down Sirius's cheek, down his jaw. I think I'm going to like waking up next to you, he finished. Easy, so easy. Sirius slept straight through the night for the first time in months. No nightmares, no insomnia, no heart-stopping anxiety driving him to pace around the living room up and down the cold sidewalk barefoot at 3 a.m. He woke up warm and rested with a soft kiss on his cheek and a waiting cup of coffee from this sweet man he couldn't get enough of. Remus climbed back into bed next to him and typed his number into Sirius's phone with his head on his shoulder. Hmm. Dinner tonight? Sirius asked as he stood in the doorway later, with his tie in one hand and Remus's fingers threaded through his other. My house this time? A kiss. Take out? Another kiss. Definitely. Remus whispered back. So easy. So very, very easy. Don't fuck this up, okay? Jesus, James, I need you to stop doing that. James Potter was sitting on Sirius's kitchen counter, swinging his legs and kicking his heels into the lower cabinet when Sirius let himself into his apartment 20 minutes later. You're the one who keeps imagining me, James said breezily. He leaned back onto his palms and surveyed Sirius's rumpled walk of shame clothes. That suit must stink, James continued. You've been wearing it for three days. I did shower at Remus's house, Sirius told him, tossing his keys into a bowl at the side table by the door. Still, James shrugged. Anyway, you didn't answer me. What? I told you not to fuck this up, James said. He's a good one. What makes you think I'm gonna fuck it up? Sirius asked, but James just gave him a soft smile. I actually don't think you will, he said, shaking his head. Liar. James laughed. He was wearing the clothes he dyed in this time. A pair of black joggers, that stupid Britney Spears t-shirt and black sneakers, and his hair was messy, thank God. Look, I know you pads, James said. I know you kind of panic when things seem too good or when you start to feel too much, but I promise nothing bad will happen this time. Sirius crossed his arms and stared right into James's brown eyes. He could see his own reflection in James's glasses, which was appropriate considering. How do you know? Sirius asked. I'm dead. I know shit like this now. James told him smugly and Sirius rolled his eyes. How? Sirius demanded. I don't know, James shrugged. I just do. I know that. But James stopped mid-sentence at the amused look on Sirius's face. You know what? Forget it. James said, annoyed now, you can just wait for life to happen to you like everyone else. He started to disappear, but Sirius stopped him. No, prongs, wait, come back. I'm sorry, Sirius laughed. Tell me, what do you know? James faded back into view, but his expression had softened a bit. It's nothing earth-shattering, it's just, you're not alone, James said, and his voice sounded softer somehow, kinder wiser. You never will be. As long as you don't run away from something good when you get afraid, that's when you have to go in deeper. You know what I mean? Not really, Sirius admitted. 
but James only smiled and nodded at him. You will. I love you, Pats. I love you too, Jamie, Sirius said. I miss you so fucking much. Me too, James said. But live without me, okay? And he faded away into the early sunlight like morning mist over a meadow. So is this our second date or our fourth? Remus asked that night as they held hands under a blanket on Sirius's little brick balcony under strings of glowing fairy lights that Lily put up a few summers ago when he first moved into this apartment. I think it's more like our tenth, Sirius said, and Remus laughed. Sirius reached down and pulled Remus's ankles up into his lap, wrapped his hands around his warm calves, ran his thumb firmly up and down the lean muscle. How do you get that math? Remus said. He leaned his head sideways onto the porch swing cushion and watched Sirius with an aching fondness, his soft curls framing his face like a halo and the fairy lights casting a dappled golden glow over his freckled cheeks. Well, Sirius said, counting on his fingers, there's the funeral, when I charmed you with sloppy crying and painful honesty. That's date number one. Remus folded himself in half with silent laughter as Sirius continued. And then there was dinner, the nighttime walk, breakfast, lunch, another dinner, ice cream, and our rendezvous at your apartment. At this, Sirius cocked an eyebrow and winked, and Remus laughed harder. Another breakfast, and now dinner again. That's ten, he finished. Remus nodded and played with the little loose thread on the edge of the blanket, wrapped it and unwrapped it around his pinky finger a few times. So, if this is our tenth date, Remus said slowly, then it wouldn't be too weird for me to tell you how much I like you, huh? No, I think that would be appropriate, Sirius said, at this advanced stage of our relationship. Okay, Remus nodded. Then, in that case, I really like you a lot, Sirius. Like, a lot. I don't know if I've ever liked anyone this much after ten dates. Or 20 dates. Or 50 dates. Or, I'm sorry, stop me if I'm being weird, or... And Sirius did stop him. He leaned over and kissed him, brought his hand up to the sharp cut of his jaw, where three days' worth of honey-brown stubble scratched wonderfully under his fingers, let their lips slide against each other, fitting together like two halves of a puzzle that clicked easily into place. He hushed the voice in the back of his mind that told him it was too easy, too perfect, too fragile, and instead lost himself in the feeling of Remus's tongue flitting into his mouth, the tug of Remus's fingers in his hair, the soft hum of contentment from Remus's throat when Sirius pulled him onto his lap and tugged the blanket up over his shoulders to keep him warm and close without breaking their kiss. There was a buzz between their thighs and they both jumped a little in surprise. Remus pulled back with a delirious little nibble to Sirius's lower lip as he pulled his phone out of his pocket, then smiled, resting his head against Sirius's chest. Look, Remus said, turning the brightly illuminated screen towards Sirius. There was a text that read, If he's free tomorrow at noon, I can see him in my office over lunch. The judge I told you about. Remus explained at the confused look on Sirius's face. She can see you tomorrow. You said you took the week off, right? I, yeah, but tomorrow? Sirius asked, unable to believe it. 
she can see me tomorrow. Remus gave him a laughing nod. Tomorrow? He said. What do you think? Can I tell her yes? Yes, Sirius said. Yes. Holy shit. Oh my god. Yes. Okay. Remus said, a huge grin across his face as he typed a reply, then looked up at Sirius again. I texted you the address, too. Thank you, Sirius whispered, his heart thudding wildly in his throat. How can I? But now it was Remus's turn to cut him off with a kiss. You're an incredible person, Sirius, Remus said, and his fingers on Sirius's throat were as gentle as the whispering edge of a knife against his jugular. You deserve good things. Sirius stared at him and felt the patio start to spin, felt his heart speeding through every harrowing beat, watched his vision fuzz with tears and something, something else. One minute his life was shit and he was eating cold soup right out of the can, sleeping on the hard wooden floor because the bed felt too soft when James Potter was dead in a box. And the next minute he was cozy and warm under a blanket, kissing this perfect person. And he was about to get hairy and... And he needed up. He needed to walk. He pushed Remus off his lap and the blanket fell away onto the patio floor as he stood up. Remus grabbed the coffee table and caught himself in half a fall, watching Sirius pace in front of him. I just need some air, Sirius choked out. Standing in the middle of the patio with the cold March wind blistering against his bare neck. Tears leaked out of his eyes, hot and cold against his cheeks, and he fumbled with the sliding glass door handle as he struggled to get back into his apartment. He stepped over the threshold and tripped over Lily's cat, his cat, on his way to the bathroom. He rushed down the hall and locked the door behind him and leaned against the sink with his fingers gripping the cold porcelain and his forehead pressed against the mirror. He wasn't sure how long he stood there, watching the faucet drip slowly onto the drain with little wet plopping sounds. Get back out there, Sirius closed his eyes. Not now, James, he hissed under his breath. Yes, now. I just need another minute. No, James said. Knock it off. Get back out there. Sirius whirled around and glared at James Potter in his Britney Spears t-shirt and grey suit jacket and slicked to the side hair, standing barefoot in Sirius's bathtub. Shut up, Sirius said. You're dead. You're fucking dead. You don't get to tell me what to do. You are fucking dead. Exactly, James yelled back. I'm dead. You're not. Live, Sirius. Sirius startled at the soft knock on the door, and when he looked back to the bathtub, James was gone. He sank down onto the closed toilet with his head in his shaking hands, and the knock came again, this time with Remus's worried voice from the other side of the door. Sirius? He called. Are you okay? Yeah, Sirius called back, the words rattling out of his throat like broken glass. Just, um... Just not feeling great all of a sudden. Do you need anything? No, I, uh, I think I just need to go to bed. Oh. Remus's surprised voice replied. It was high-pitched and sad, and Sirius closed his eyes again, body bent in half with his forehead on his knees. Okay, well, I guess I'll go then. Yeah, sorry, Sirius said into his legs. 
No, it's fine. A pause. Good luck tomorrow. Thanks. Okay. Well, good night, Sirius. Good night. Sirius listened to Remus hesitate outside the bathroom for another moment, listened to the sound of his footsteps walking away down the hall, listened to the jingle of his keys in his coat pocket and the opening and closing of the apartment door. Sirius listened to his own ragged breathing and crying as he slid onto the cold tile floor and slept there again because James Bahadur was dead in a box and Sirius was running away from something good because he was afraid. The meeting the next day went well, perfectly. The judge took one look at Harry's file and recommended that Sirius request a new court-appointed advocate immediately. I don't make it a practice to speak ill of my colleagues, the judge said in an undertone as she leaned over her desk. But Anne is a very rigid woman and often puts her own biases over the needs and the best interests of the child. If I were you, I would petition the court for a change. Once you get one, the adoption process should move pretty quickly from there. Sirius nodded his thanks and left the office in a haze. He walked three blocks to the train station and descended underground like a ghost once again, invisible to everyone around him. He knocked shoulders with someone who didn't even look up at the physical contact. Maybe they went right through him, actually, as though he were more vapor than flesh. Vapor doesn't feel anything or look like anything, and it certainly doesn't feel things like pain. It evaporates and floats away and disappears into the ether as though it were never there in the first place. Gone in a blink, like it never even existed. The train rattled to a stop at Sirius's station and he stared at his shoes in front of the door, waiting for it to slide open. He wondered what Remus was doing. Remus texted him to check in last night and this morning, but Sirius never texted him back. He never returned either of his calls from that afternoon either. He would. Soon, he told himself. He owed Remus that much. He owed him an explanation why he couldn't do this. Why he couldn't inflict himself and his fucked up life on someone else right now. He played nervously with the zipper on his messenger bag as he stepped off the train and onto the platform. Immediately, that warm, familiar gust of subway air hit him, and his eyes landed on the concrete bench where just a few weeks ago he sat with Mike, asking him about his feet. How are they feeling? Sirius asked with a worried frown. Mike's ankles were bluish purple and swollen, and the wounds on his toes were an angry red and turning a dark reddish black. Mike flicked his filthy blanket over his sandal-covered feet to hide them and glared at Sirius. They hurt like a bitch, he said through a ragged cough. Mike, please, will you come down to the... No, he snapped. Now get the fuck away from me before I call the cops. Sirius sighed and let Mike push him away, giving him one last look over his shoulder before he crested the top of the stair, before walking out into the cold street. Mike barely looked like a person from the top of the stairs. He could have been a pile of dirty blankets or a heap of garbage. He'd be dead by the next morning, or maybe later that night. It didn't matter. Dead was dead. Now the subway door opened and Sirius stepped off it and walked straight across the platform to sink down onto the floor where Mike died next to the bench with hundreds of people walking straight past his corpse for hours. 
The floor was cold and hard and disgusting. It smelled like piss down there, stale piss, and there were dark stains on the concrete under Sirius's legs. He pulled Mike's phone out of his messenger bag and scrolled to the selfie of the two of them. Sirius's stomach squirmed again at how much they looked alike behind their outer expressions. Both of their eyes were haunted by that impossible-to-name darkness. He stared at it for a long time, sitting there on the subway platform floor, and after a while he stopped noticing the cold and the smell and the hardness on the concrete under him. He stopped noticing that everyone was reduced to their passing feet and that he was reduced to almost nothing. And then the phone rang. Not the phone in his hand, but the one in his pocket, and his cold, stiff fingers fumbled to pull it out and answer it. Hello? Is this serious, Black? The man's voice on the other end of the phone was cigarette-shaped and rough. Yes, Sirius said. Oh, hi. This is Alan Hatch. When Sirius didn't reply right away, the voice continued. My Hatch was my uncle, the man said. Oh, Sirius said, looking at Mike smiling toothlessly up from the cracked phone in his hand. Hi. My neighbor called because someone saw the flyers you put up, Alan said. How did you know him? Um, from the subway, Sirius said, speaking louder over the rushing clatter of the train as it arrived at the platform. He explained how he met Mike during his commute about finding the body, the morgue, the funeral. Holy shit, Alan replied, and Sirius could hear the wonder in his voice. He must have made some impression on you. Yeah, I suppose he did. Sirius said, tipping his head back against the cold subway tiles and closing his eyes, just like Mike used to. I guess I'm not surprised, Alan said. Mike could be really charming when he wanted to be. Of course, you could also be a fucking asshole, too. Yeah, well, I guess we can all be assholes sometimes, Sirius said. So do you want me to pay you back? What? For the funeral and shit, Alan said. I can pay you back. It might take me a while, but... No, Sirius cut him off. You don't have to pay me back. I wanted to take care of it. Silence. What are you, rich or something? Sirius didn't answer right away. I just wanted him to be remembered, he said finally. Where is he buried? Alan asked, and there was a strange note in his voice. Sirius told him the name of the cemetery, and Alan thanked him. If you want the stone changed or anything, just tell me and... Sirius started, but Alan cut him off. No, it's fine. Whatever you did is fine. Alan said curtly. Okay, Sirius said. He was about to say goodbye when a strange question struck him. Was he a good uncle? Sirius asked. Not really, Alan said without hesitation. Oh. Well, he was okay when I was a kid. Alan conceded. But life kind of fucked him up. My cousin, Mike's son died when I was nine and he was ten. Got hit by a subway train. Jumped on the tracks trying to chase a cat. Sirius watched the train doors slide shut in front of him in slow motion, and the cars pull away with a rattling hum down the tracks. He stared at the dark, empty spot where the train had been and took a shallow breath. You still there? Alan's voice asked. Yeah, Sirius said. Sorry. I'm so sorry that happened. Yeah, well, Alan said. A lot of parents lose their kids. A lot of bad shit happens to people every single day. Not everyone fucks over the rest of their family and implodes their whole life because of it. I'm sorry, Sirius said again. 
What do you have to be sorry for? You didn't do it. Alan snapped. Didn't he? Well, Sirius said, I guess some people, some people just don't know what to do with something that big. It's easier to just check out, maybe. No, you have to go in deeper. Goosebumps broke across Sirius's skin and the hairs on the back of his neck stood up. What did you just say? He breathed. When life makes you want to run, that's when you have to go in deeper. Alan said, and his tone was gentler now. Deeper into love, into friendship, deeper into people. The only way out is through. Sirius couldn't speak. He was frozen where he sat. Anyway, Alan continued when Sirius didn't answer. Are you sure you don't want me to pay you back? No, I'm, I'm sure. Sirius sniffed, wiping his eyes with the back of his hand. Thank you for calling me. Thanks for doing what you did. Alan said. Really? You must be one in a million, Sirius. Sirius nodded, even though Alan couldn't see him, and he ended the call as fast as he could and typed out a text with trembling fingers. Meet me at the pier in half an hour if you can. Sirius's body felt electrified. He looked down at his dirty hands and doused them in hand sanitizer, then scrambled to his feet and sprinted up the stairs. He ran across town toward the harbor as fast as he could, his messenger bag bouncing from his hip for 17 blocks. There was no way, no way he'd be there. Not after last night and this morning and all the ignored messages and calls. But it didn't matter. Sirius had to try, anyhow. And if he wasn't there, then maybe he'd buzz his apartment, or send flowers to his work office, or hold a boombox playing in your eyes over his head outside his bedroom window. Hi. Remus turned at the sound of Sirius's voice behind him, and Sirius's stomach clenched, bracing himself to see Remus's sweet face painted with hurt and anger. But it wasn't there. Instead, his soft brown eyes were filled with worry, and his brow creased with concern. Sirius, he said, rushing up to him across the windswept boardwalk. Are you all right? Am, am I all right? Sirius repeated, confused. Yeah, Remus said, as though this was the most obvious first question he should have been asking. I'm so sorry for last night. I should have never left you like that. What are you talking about? You were having an anxiety attack, and I left you alone, Remus said. I was too busy worrying about myself to think about you and what you needed. But I asked you to leave, Sirius said, dumbfounded. So? Remus said. Anxiety tricks you, and I could have been there for you, just to hold your hand or rub your back or tell you stupid stories about lobstering to distract you until you felt better. And instead, I rushed out because I was so embarrassed about what I said, about how much I like you, and I do like you, Sirius, so, so much, and I don't want to fuck this up. At this, Sirius actually barked a laugh. Oh, wait, so you're worried that you're going to fuck this up? Sirius asked. I was coming here to beg on my knees for a second chance. But you didn't do anything. Remus frowned at him, shaking his head. I ran. I pushed you away when I should have gone in deeper. 
Sirius said. What? Remus teased. Sirius, I fucked you the other night. You didn't go deep. But Sirius didn't let him finish. Instead, he dropped his messenger bag onto the wooden boardwalk with a heavy thud and closed the space between them in two powerful strides. He took Remus's face in his hands and kissed him with everything he had. Remus stumbled backwards, then forward, grabbed Sirius's wrists, and kissed him back just as hard. He wrapped his arms around Sirius's neck and kissed him breathless. James told me not to fuck this up, Sirius said, laughing and crying against Remus's lips. Tell him you won't, Remus replied and kissed him again, while someone, somewhere, blasted baby one more time from a passing car, or maybe a boombox. You won't. Cities are lonely places sometimes, but not all the time. Not this time. so much for listening to this one. I know it made me very emotional when I first read it. So I'm a bit sorry to inflict that on anyone, 
but I also think Alex has done the amazing thing of writing something so relatable that it helps you, well, it helped me go deeper, I guess, or feel things, you know, emotions. Alex wrote something really special here, I think, and um, so this was a super fun project. Thank you to everyone who voiced in it, and thank you for listening. Take care.